Hi, this is Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds, and you're listening to Follow Your Dream, the podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I am honored today to have as my guest, Jeremy Clyde of the iconic 60s duo, Chad and Jeremy. They had several big hits during the British invasion era of the 60s, including Yesterday's Gone and a Summer Song. Their debut album spent 39 weeks on the charts. They had 11 songs that charted in the U.S., and seven of them were in the top 40. And they made guest appearances on the Dick Van Dyke Show, the Patty Duke Show, and even on Batman. How about that? Jeremy became a film and stage actor, and he's appeared in several Broadway productions. And in recent years, he's been touring with Peter Asher of Peter and Gordon fame. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, Jeremy and I are going to do what I call a song fest. We're going to play a handful of his greatest hits, and we're going to talk about them, and you'll get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know that I love to feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make the song relevant somehow. So in this instance, my featured song is I Want to Be Your Girl from the album East Side Sessions by my band Project Grand Slam. Why? Well, this is my reimagined version of a relatively obscure Lennon and McCartney song called I Want to Be Your Man. And Chad and Jeremy had a hit with their cover of From a Window, another relatively obscure Lennon and McCartney song. So I thought the connection worked. So Jeremy Clyde, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Well, thanks. Thanks, Robert. Uh, I want to be your girl, huh? Okay. Well, I have a female lead singer, so we had to change it around a little bit. I was kind of hoping you were going to say that, but, you know, hey, we live in, <laughs> we live in uh, awakened times here. You know? Here we go. There we go. Well, listen, I have to start off by telling you, I was a big, big Chad and Jeremy fan during that era, okay? You know, you guys were kind of a counterpoint to what else was happening in the whole British invasion. By that, I mean, there were so many hard rock bands like, you know, the Stones and the Who and the Kinks, and you guys and Peter and Gordon, you know, brought up a different side of that whole era which was spectacular because it was kind of like the folk rock side of that era. Would you agree with me? I would agree with you. I mean, I also say, I would also say that it was incredible timing. I mean, there we were just at the moment that the Beatles broke America with this extraordinary explosion that happened. And all the record executives came running over to London or, or Liverpool or any, in the UK and looking for anybody that had a hit who they didn't know about. And we had had a hit because 
we had been playing, Chad and I had been playing in a little bar, actually, called Tina's Bar. It was a, a daytime gig. And John Barry, uh, who went on the great music, uh, film music composer, all the James Bond stuff and all that, uh, and a great deal more. He was starting a record label. He came down, this is before, this is about a year before, uh, or six months before, and had signed us to his new label. And so that we had just had a hit, sort of, called Yesterday's Gone, um, in England at exactly the moment when all the, <laughs> everyone came rushing over looking for acts. So we got swept up, this sort of folky duo, is exactly as you actually, um, we didn't really fit in with the beat groups. And there was a moment when we played, I remember so clearly, we played on a huge bill. I know the animals were on it, and, I mean, a huge bill, a 64, at the Cow Palace in San, in San Francisco. 18,000 people. And there's Chad and I with our little acoustic guitars <laughs> feeling, hang on a minute, we've got to get a band. This is, this is not going to work. Because <laughs> we suddenly had to learn to play very, very big venues. And at that time also, the sound systems were what they were in those days, which were pretty grim, to be honest. I can imagine. They were sort of announcing baseball results and things like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there you are. So it was, yeah, it, we, were, we were lucky, incredibly lucky, just the timing. And then extraordinarily lucky because we hadn't been able to follow up Yesterday's Gone as a hit in England. Uh, they tried everything that even released a summer song and it had got voted down. And there was a, actually, there was a, um, a, a television show called Jukebox Jury. And welcome to another session of Jukebox Jury. Jane Asher, Peter's sister, was often on it as a sort of celebrity. And they would play 30 seconds of a new record. And they'd say, panel, are you going to vote it a hit or a miss? And in this case, they, were, they would sometimes have the, the guys backstage waiting to hear whether they were going to be a hit or a miss. And I got out of it. I don't know how I did it, but anyway, Chad was sitting there. And on the panel this particular day was Ringo. And this was in England, obviously. So, uh, and he, and they all go, so panel, is it going to be Chad and Jeremy? Is the summer song is it going to be hit or a miss? And they all go miss, including Ringo, <laughs> including Ringo. But, and, but Ringo then says, do you know something he said? They're nice lads. It's a bit soft for um, England, but you know, I think it could be a very big hit in America. And so there you are. That's there. There's Ringo the Prophet. That's a crazy story because look, yeah. those two songs, uh, Yesterday's Gone and A Summer Song, which we're going to play a little bit later in this thing, they were just spectacular songs. I mean, they really were. I've told this before on the podcast. I had my high school band, okay, during this era, and we played everything that was on the radio. And Yesterday's Gone was definitely part of the set list, okay? <laughs> so I want you to know that right up front. Thanks. There were only a handful of groups, I'm trying to think as we we're talking here, that had kind of a softer sound that made it during this era. The Seekers was one of them. I'll Never Find Another You. Yes. That was probably about a year or so later. I mean, you guys, in essence, came into this whole thing before the explosion that happened in 1964, right? Well, it, it, everything's different in every country. Uh, I, uh, we, yeah, I mean, we were recording. June '63 was when we recorded "Yesterday's Gone." I don't know what the Beatles had recorded by then, but it, it wasn't much. 
I mean, they were just starting. And they, they exploded in the United States when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, which I'm sure you know of, and maybe you were on as well. Yeah, no. And that was in February of 64. So that's when the explosion took place. There you are. That, that, that says it exactly. So we'd had uh, a sort of, we were on the scene. We were doing all the shows. We were meeting the, you know, I don't know, the searchers and everybody else and the swinging blue jeans. Hi, guys. You know, we were on the, we were part of the, the scene, but we weren't able to follow up the hits until the disc jockeys in America on that first album uh, had a look at uh, Summer Song and started playing it in the summer of 64 and never stopped. And that was it. Was it one particular disc jockey that broke the song? I'm, I'm interested because I've had several other artists from that era on the show, and they talked about how, you know, one particular disc jockey in some obscure location decided that such and such was going to be a hit, and they just made it happen. I'm remembering that I think it was KFWB in, in L.A., who were particularly keen because when we first arrived in LA, it was like we were the first English band of the British invasion, which wasn't really called the British invasion at that time because you were just being invaded. <laughs> you hadn't worked it out yet. <laughs> um, you were the advance on the British invasion, huh? Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> that's right. We were the John the Baptist, you know? <laughs> so uh, we arrived in on the West Coast and we were the first because we were to, to do the um what's it called the hollywood palace show that's right which was the 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 west coast answer to the um uh, the ed sullivan show and so we were brought in and they were they made an enormous ron riley i think is his name that's all coming back to me lord how we these funny things i think was his name uh made it he made a huge fuss so that when we got off the plane we were greeted. It was like a hard day's night. I mean, it was just extraordinary. Were the girls throwing their underwear at you? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Please report. <laughs> the occasional moment. Um, but we we were actually followed by a convoy of very very overexcited young women in in their father's cars i mean stuffed I mean, like six kids in one car weaving in and out and we were in a limo and the guys from the label were kind of like what is this i don't see this is really scary and we said no no we're used to this in england <laughs> and we arrived at the Beverly, the, the door of the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, very, very smart place, you know, I mean, this is Beverly Hills. And I was actually looked at that particular door, what, I don't know, a few weeks ago I was there. And just to remind myself that I got all the facts right. And it's true, there is a sort of put you can pull off, off the street, uh, you know, just in front of the door, which is like a big double door. And the guys were very frightened. And meanwhile, there are cars piling up on the pavement on either side of us with screaming women. And they go, run for it, run for it. We'll, we'll hold them back. So we rush out, except that coming towards us and filling the door, which I saw a few months ago, just to make sure, absolutely filling the door was a wedding party with the bride and the groom and the, you know, all the, the bridesmaids and the whole bit. And we just went straight through them. I mean, trashed them, straight, followed by very overexcited young women. <laughs> and I've often wanted to know what happened to that marriage 
I mean, it was that moment. We knew it was all going to go wrong, or it was the most fantastic day because it was it was a real sixties moment. I, I'd love to know. Anyway, there we are. It's an amazing story. So you know, I want to ask you. Here it is, fifty or so years later. What was it like going through that era? It was like being on a roller coaster. It was like you have no control. You are just, there's a rocket behind you and it's going, I mean, it's, a, you know, you're going up into space. It's an, it was an extraordinary feeling uh, and very frightening, some of it, um, because uh, some of the fan attention was scary and uh, mobs are frightening and they would pull at your hair. I mean, you can see it, the hard day's night, it's exactly like that. And they pull at your hair, they pull at your clothes. Uh, it was quite violent. And so there was a moment, I mean, I remember now, we were coming into, there was like a sort of entrance as you would come into an arena. In other words, you come through a tunnel, like football players do, onto the pitch. And we were coming into, and it was actually a circular theatre, and there were girls piled up on the above us. And one of them jumped onto Chad as we were coming through. I mean, I was behind him. And he was furious. He was actually more furious about his guitar than he was about either the girl or himself or anything else. Uh, but it was like that. I mean, you it was you had to be you had to watch it a bit. So it was it was an extraordinary experience. And the sound of the screaming, particularly in a theater, because you've got walls and and you know that kind of acoustic big theater consider and those two and a half thousand young ladies screaming at the top of their lungs i've never heard anything that like it it was sort of like a like a jet engine you know the way you're describing it as you you've alluded to a hard day's night a few times i told my daughters as they were growing up i said if you want to know what the 60s was like you can listen and you can talk to people but watch that movie okay because that movie kind of captured it and I can just imagine what you're saying now that, you know, you're, you're inundated with these young girls. They're throwing themselves at you. They're screaming. You know, you're playing concerts. You can't hear yourself. I mean, it was an era that was just crazy in that regard. And short lived because by 66, just about everybody was, I mean, certainly the acts uh, were already getting tired of being screamed at because you couldn't hear anything. You were not, you know, you waggle your head and there's a great scream, you know, you lift a leg, a great scream. And what is all this? I don't know. And so we eventually, we then switched later and started playing colleges, which was a kind of a hit move to do just uh, with a very small band. And, um, you know, to, to, and, and then it all stopped. The screaming just stopped. And I mean, it, I can see it's still happening for whoever's flavor of the month, Harry Styles, I imagine he's getting screamed at at the moment. But possibly it's, it's sort of less naive, I suspect now, because it's been done, you know? Well, it was a particular era. You lived through it. I've interviewed so many others on this podcast that lived through it. Everyone describes it, in a sense, just the way that you did. And it was just one of those magical eras, okay? Yeah. It was magical musically and in so many other senses, the fashion, 
the creativity that went on. I mean, you know, London was the center of the universe at that time. Yes, yes. And and everybody knew everybody because everybody was sort of in and out the same clubs, you know. It's interesting you say that. I had Kenny Jones on, okay, the drummer, the great drummer. And he and John Lodge from the Moody Blues said the same thing. Everybody used to meet up at the same pubs after their gigs. Everybody knew everybody in all of these different bands. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's a story. I was asked to, to uh, uh, recently to give a story, a sort of Beatles story. And I missed out this one. And I remembered it. So I'll tell you it uh, because I've completely forgotten it. And I don't think I ever mentioned it on air anywhere. Good, I've got an exclusive. An exclusive. So here it is. And it's it's later. It's 69, I think. And I'm standing on the corner of the street with my then girlfriend. Uh, and a car pulls up. And at the wheel is Peter Asher. And behind, next to him is Paul McCartney. And they say, hey, Jeremy, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm sort of going up the Baker Street sort of thing. OK, we'll give you a lift. Oh, great. OK pile in and paul turns around media says hey you 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 alan klein did a deal for you yeah i said all right get us on to columbia records yes he did yes what do you make of it tell me tell me what you know about alan klein and so i didn't give alan the greatest review possibly <laughs> um i said you know he's shifty like they're all shifty but he is probably the shiftiest and there you are. And then he dropped me off and that was it. So that's my, it was just, I mean, there you are. You see him standing on the corner in London. Uh, Paul McCartney, you know, pulls up, says, hi, get in. Let's have a little chat and I'll drop you off. You know, that's kind of sort of the village, you know. The way it was, huh? So tell me this. You, you, you recorded that Lennon and McCartney song. How did you get that song? Late yesterday night. I saw a light shine from a window And as I looked again Your face came into sight I couldn't walk on Until you'd gone from your window I had to make you mine It was very much, that was... Okay, let me back up for a second. Chad wrote wrote and arranged because Chad was a classically trained musician. I'm afraid Chad left us two years ago or so now. Right. But that's so that's when I talk about the past, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and he, he had written uh, Yesterday's Gone and arranged it. And John, to his eternal credit, John Barry, had looked at the score and said, yeah, great, well done, sure. Um, and he also co-wrote um, Summer Song. Anyway. The point is, but that was it. I mean, he didn't, those were his two songs. <laughs> what do you do for the rest of the album? Well, you do the folkiest stuff that we were doing in our act at Tina's Bar. But then, of course, the depression. Oh, we need some hits, guys. These Beatle guys, they're really good. And, and it's only been covered by Billy J. Kramer. So you could do it. And it was that. It was pressure to um, come up with a, a Lennon McCartney who were already beginning to, you know, take off as writers and get this huge reputation and it might be commercial it was it was pressure from the from the label but why that particular song because the beatles never released that song i was wondering did they give it to you or you just happened to get it no 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 i think billy j had had recorded it first 
right. um, because of the Epstein stable, which he was with. And um, they'd given it to him. He put it out. Somebody said, hey, do you know, this could be a hit in a, if we release this in America, you know, you could get it. You know, it was it was a commercial decision. It was out there. I see. Well, I always liked your version of the song. I have oh, to tell you, I always liked it. it. About 50 <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is your host, Robert Miller. I'm pleased to tell you that I've got a new album coming out soon called Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. It features 10 new songs, plus guest appearances by John Helliwell of Supertramp, Tony Carey of Rainbow, and international sitar sensation Deobrat Mishra. The album has a definite 60s vibe, and the theme of the record is all about relationships and love. It may just be my best album ever. The reviewers agree. Indie Shark calls it Album of the Year. Big Celebrity Buzz says it's one of the great rock sets of the year. And Pop Icon calls it an adventure that keeps us on the edge of our seats. How about that? And for me, the icing on the cake is the praise that the album has received from world-class musicians like Steve Hackett of Genesis, Gary Puckett of The Union Gap, Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul & Mary, Jim McCarty of The Yardbirds, and David Liebert of The Happenings. I'm going to release the 10 songs on the album in a novel way in five special episodes of this podcast featuring two songs in each one starting after the new year. So be on the lookout for these special episodes of Bobby M. and the Paisley Parade. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to this podcast and please sign up for our weekly emails previewing each episode and much more. The links are all in the show notes. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right, listen, this is a good segue into the second part of our interview where we, we do what I call the song fest. So we have to start with your two big hits. And um, the first one is Yesterday's Gone, which just had just, it just brings a smile to your face when you hear that song. I loved you all the summer through found my dream in you for me you were the one but that was yesterday and yesterday's gone tell me a little bit about the backstory on yesterday's gone well i've sort of done most of it in the sense that chad had written it uh, it was obviously something that we must have been doing in our act, I don't remember particularly. I remember the session very well. And we had, in fact, I think, brought a couple of friends 
that that were in Chad's band. We had a band called the Jerks <laughs> at drama school, which is where we'd met. And he'd brought some friend along to play on it. And John didn't like what he was doing because he was not a studio player. Because studio players can they don't make squeaks and you know funny noises on the on the strings and things they are just so good and there was a guy called the soloist by big jim sullivan who was a, a, a very famous um guitarist and worked a lot in 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 um, london at the time and that was it and it was one i mean you know you went in and you did i don't know three songs in three hours or more i mean it was just it was very very and and live and what would happen was that we would we were used to singing without microphones because we'd been singing in a folk club, so you know, mighty wind, <laughs> you know, strumming away, singing out. Um, and we started off, I loved you all the summer. And John came round the booth <laughs> uh, and said, guys, you sound like a football team. Can you be a bit quieter? Can you whisper it, perhaps? And so we whispered it, and that was the sound. That was how our sound, particularly, was created because we sang softly. I'm interested in this. It was a wonderful record, like I said. When the next one came around, when a summer song, which <laughs> you, you got gonged on by that panel, I'm still amazed at that story. Okay, but when that came around after the first hit, did the record company say to you, you know, we need something that sounds just like that first one? Because that happened so much back in that era. Oh, of course. The, the first thing, they, what they wanted, they wanted us not to be the, like, we are not, you guys are not like those nasty Rolling Stones. That was basically it, okay? We, <laughs> we want you to be, you should be appealing to, you know, the mothers. You should be appealing to your grandmothers, you know, so, nice old songs, songs from way back. Get this nice show tunes, that kind of thing. And so we were under an enormous amount of pressure to be sort of the Andy Williams of, of Britain, if you know what I mean. No offense, yes. Andy, nice guy. Uh, we were on his show a number of times. Um, anyway, and so that was, that was the, and we, there's a song called Willow Weep For Me. I think, which is, I'm pretty certain, I think he's on the first album, which we went back and looked at a lot of old songs, classic standards, as you would now say. Um, and that, that song, Willow Week for Me, was written in 1932. So talk about old songs. I mean, you know, how old are you going to get? Um, and that was a hit for us. And then, of course, we were under tremendous pressure to just keep on repeating the formula. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you had to make two albums a year and touring all at the same mm -hmm. time. I mean, the Beatles were brilliant because they were self-right. They were writing at the time. And Chad, after his initial wonderful start, rather sort of dried up. And I started right. We started writing together and then I took over. And so the later albums, a lot of, more of my stuff. And it's just it's how it was. We were learning on the job. I mean, we were kind of. I wish we'd had Hamburg or the equivalent. You know what I mean? That's we needed. We needed seasoning. We needed yeah. to get down in and uh, 
So, so we were thrown in the deep end, rather. But, you know, that's the way it went. I understand completely. All right, let's listen to your big, big hit, which was a summer song. It's a beautiful melody. It's a beautiful record. Sweet, sleepy warmth of summer nights Gazing at the distant lights In the starry sky They say that all good things must end someday Is there anything else about this that you can tell me that you haven't said already? Yes, when I said it was co-written by Chad, Chad had a couple of friends, uh, Metcalf and Noble, Keith Noble and somebody Metcalf, I think that's right, who were, they were on the folk, I think they were also friends of Tom Springfield was around, because that was the Springfields, because Dusty was then in, in a group with her brother called the Springfields. So this was the folky type circuit. The acoustic guitar guys and Metcalf and Noble were pals of of Chad and met him and they couldn't finish so he they had the trees swaying in the summer breeze la, 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 that bit and Chad said okay I'll try and finish it and he's the one who came up with that brilliant bridge which is they say that all good things must end someday and all that wish you didn't have to go no 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 and so that's his that's his and actually as Peter Asher says he says that's that's the bit that makes the song and he's absolutely right i think the bridge is just a gorgeous bridge i agree with you all right i want to go to the third one you picked out a song when we went back and forth here and i love this song this is paxton quigley's had the course i mean it's a strange strange title it was from the film originally three in the attic but it got picked up more recently as i understand it from you by Quentin Tarantino. Tell us about this is such a quintessential 60s song, okay? This just had 60s England all over it. Tell me about it. Yeah. Okay. I, absolutely. I'm in England at this time. Because I would nip back. I got homesick. I'm, you know, very much a Brit. Uh, Chad had settled in California, was having, and I love California. I lived there for a while, but, you know, I kept nipping back to see my family and friends. So there I was, and I get a call from Chad, and he says, "Guess what? I'm scoring a movie." I said, "That's brilliant, man!" Because we always, we all thought at the time, and certainly he and I talked about the fact that this wasn't going to. Last forever. I mean, we'd be lucky if we got three or four years out of this, and then what are you going to do? 
Um, and I had already, you know, done three years of training as an actor. I'd also done a year of repertory theatre. You know, I mean, I was, that's what I was going to do. What was he going to do? So he wanted to score movies. So uh, I, I'm scoring a movie. That's great. And, and they want a title song from us. Oh, terrific. Okay. So what's the title of the movie? I say, and, they, and he says, Paxton Quigley's had the course. And I say, so you want me to write a song called Paxton Quigley's Had the Course? <laughs> That's a, kind of tricky. Okay, I'll have a go. I'll see what I can come up with. And so I settled down. I said, oh, so, so what's the plot? Ah, well, the plot is, um, and for, for viewers or listeners of a sensitive disposition, uh, okay, here we go. The plot is that this is this is young dude, and he's been working his way through all the college girls in one year, and they they talk to each other, and they go right. What we're going to do is we're going to kidnap him, tie him up, kidnap him, put him in the attic, and give him a great deal of pleasure until he begs for mercy. So that's okay. Sixty. You 60s, bet. <laughs> right. You bet. So I settled down and I wrote the first whole bit. Yeah, Baxter and Quigley's had the course, feeling kind of run down, feeling kind of slow down. Went back to California, and Chad went, "Oh, great!" And then he wrote an extraordinary bridge. It's not all very well, but not with my daughter. You don't. Or rather, sort of yes. operatic. You can hear the yes. chords going up on the piano. It, and it jumps two keys. It's an extraordinary piece of work. Anyway, so he did that, and there we were. Right, we've got this. Is it? We've got like that. We've got the theme tune. Paxton Quigley's had the course, and then they changed the title <laughs> to Three in the Attic, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of our big moment. Um, except, as you said, absolutely to my incredible delight we are on the soundtrack album and you can see this in credit in once upon a time in hollywood great great um you can see he's always where he's always passing cinemas with three in the attic is sort of being and there's a moment where chad's voice comes through a speaker and brad pitt is feeding a dog or whatever he's doing at the time anyway so that's it that's the story so we are we have been rehabilitated finally Paxton has finally found an audience. <laughs> well, like I said, this is such a quintessential 60s song, and it does have that that middle part that just kind of goes off in a different direction. It was a lovely song. I hadn't heard this in many, many years. So it was delightful when you <laughs> suggested it. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about some of the TV shows that you guys were on, including Batman. Tell us about your experience on American TV. Experience on American TV was fantastic. I'll start with Batman, but it, Batman was great. Batman was enormous fun uh, because one of the reasons it was fun was it was two episodes. It wasn't just one. Uh, it was two whole episodes. And the plot, I will remind anybody who hasn't, doesn't remember this important piece of television. We are singing a song called Distant Shores at the time. Uh, uh, and we're playing Gotham City. Chad, Chad and Jared, we were under our own names, you see. That was that was what was such fun. So, you, excuse me, you were, you were in the show as Chad and Jeremy. As Chad and Jeremy. That was, the, that was, was wonderful. So, you know, there we are singing this song and out of the wings comes Julie Newmar 
the gorgeous Julie Newmar, playing the Catwoman. That Catwoman, and she's got a sort of ray gun, and it goes, and it steals, and it steals our voices. And now she's going to put them in a box and hold the British government to ransom, okay? Hell of a plot, isn't it? Eh? And, but fortunately, Batman and Robin are on the case, and the reason I'm talking to you now, Robert, is because my voice has been restored to me by Batman <laughs> and Robin, and there's not a lot of people can say that. What a great story. It was, it was fun. I mean, I'll tell you something. It, it, was, it was really great fun. Adam West, Adam West ended up living around the corner from Chad. I'm sort of drifting off for a second, but just for the story. For anybody that doesn't know, Adam West played Batman, okay? Now, please continue. Wonderful. Brilliant, brilliant performance. It's a brilliant, it's so dry and funny and clever. It reminds me of Leslie Nielsen, his kind of shtick. Anyway, um, and they ended up living in the same town up in Idaho, sort of Sun Valley way. And if you looked at that time in the telephone directory <laughs> for young people, uh, someone will explain what a telephone directory is. He had under Adam West, it would say C Batman. And if you get, went to Batman, it would be C Adam West. Uh -huh. There you are, anyway. And they, they would meet, they would meet in the, in the market occasionally. <laughs> anyway, the great, the, the really, the one that we enjoyed absolutely most of all was the Dick Van Dyke show because they were so sweet and so it was like a happy family and everybody I've since heard everybody says the same thing apparently all the guests came back saying I just they were so nice they were just as nice off stage as on stage this was the Dick Van Dyke show with Mary Tyler Moore and uh Carl Reiner am I am I Yes. I want to make sure I got the right show. Yes, yes, that's the show. That's the one. And were you guys, Chad and Jeremy, on that show, or did you play somebody no, else? No, We were Fred and Ernie of the Redcoats. <laughs> Hello, America. This is Fred and Ernie here the Redcoats. <laughs> Chad Stewart and Jeremy Clyde of Chad and Jeremy. We were Redcoats together. That's oh. right, on the Dick Van Dyke show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and when we did the, the Patty Duke show, we were Nigel and Patrick. <laughs> Coming here is just our way of saying thank you to the young lady who helped us get our first big break, Miss Patty Lane. Thank you. Uh, I'd just like to say that uh, I feel very proud and happy to realize that I had a part in giving Nigel and Patrick to the world. So you can imagine, you can imagine being Chad and Jeremy was have a whole new uh, world. It was great. Fabulous that you got to do these things. Really, really <laughs> fabulous. All right, tell me, I know that you're you're touring these days with Peter Asher. Tell us about that. Peter's a very old friend of mine. Um, and as a matter of fact, as a story I tell on stage, I mean, he rang me um, one day in a sort of late 60s. I, again, I was in London. And he said, you've got to come around. I've, I've discovered this, this songwriter. He's a really amazing guy. You've got to come meet him. So I said, okay. He said, he said come around. We'll have something to eat. And we'll get him to play some music. He's really good. I said, okay. Went round. And they, he introduced me. Hi, this is James. James? James Taylor. Oh, James Taylor. Right. Hi. Very, very quiet. Go on, James. Sing us a couple of songs. And there he was singing. And it was, and I, you know, it was, it was clearly absolutely brilliant. I've had two occasions like that. The other one was when I was at a Columbia Records do in London and somebody came up to me and said, you know, I know you're looking for material, 
there's this guy, he's on the label, he's just doing little folk clubs. His name's Paul Simon. You want, might want to check him out. And Paul came over and sat on the sofa and played one brilliant song after another. And I rang Chad and said, this guy's brilliant, we've got to do, and we did. We covered uh, one of his songs. Thank goodness that uh, Paul Simon wasn't on that show that rejected a summer song, huh? He might have been rejected too. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, anyway, so the, the, the Patty Duty, yes, it was great to be, um, it was great to be us for once. Uh, but Paul, uh, Peter, we got, we were talking about Peter. I couldn't remember where we go. Yeah, Peter's a great old friend of mine, and of course, Gordon left us. What I don't know, almost what fourteen years ago, something like that, when Chad retired, uh, and then you know, died the other two years ago, whatever it is, and it was an obvious thing to do. And it's not do, not only do our stories intertwine, because they do, we keep, you know, me, oh, well, I, that's where I met you, and oh, well, that was that moment when, you know. But also, uh, you know, it's, you get hits, 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 you get an hour and a half of, you know, double the fun. Yeah, fantastic. And what do you go? Do you do you go as Peter and Jeremy or? Yes, the Peter and Jeremy show. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if you're going to come up with any of those names, like from the Dick Van Dyke show or the Patty Duke <laughs> show or any yeah. of those. <laughs> yes, yes. Peter Asher featuring the Redcoats. I like it. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. We didn't do that. I, I the, the thing is, I always originally, interestingly, they were Gordon and Peter. Oh, really? Yeah. We were always Chad and Jeremy because it just sort of went better. Um, and they were Gordon and Peter and the label said, no, it's got to be Peter and Gordon. And so I've always ended up second. You know, it's funny because as you were saying that, I'm saying to myself, I wonder if, you know, they ever thought of McCartney and Lennon, okay? Because it just didn't go that way. It was always Lennon and McCartney. Exactly, exactly. Fantastic. Well, listen, we have been speaking to the great, and I mean this, the great Jeremy Clyde, part of Chad and Jeremy, and it's just wonderful to hear all your stories about the 60s. Your music was just fantastic. It it brought out the whole era to me and to so many millions of others. I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's just been wonderful. Thank you. Can I just put in one small plug? Absolutely. Good man. Thank you. Um, for the past eight years, I have been recording all the songs that were left behind in my bottom drawer. So from 1970 to 2015. And I've been putting them out under the bottom drawer sessions. A bit like your idea, the sessions, you see, it's that one. Uh, and now there are eight albums out there. You can listen on any of the streaming platforms, I hate to say, but they're, they're, they're all there. For a heartbeat there was no one but you for a while there For a time it was forever spring And would you believe I heard an angel sing For a while my dreams came true For a wonderful while there was you and uh, they are beginning to get quite a quite a little following. There's a lot of stuff I'm very proud of in there. Chad and I tr did record some of these songs, uh, but they're mostly in demo form. And it, ever si and since anyway, uh, there were many more songs since then. And I I'm about I'm about to start on my last one. I'm clearing the drawer. 
I'm doing number nine, bottom draw sessions number nine. I'm starting on work next week. So there you are. And, and, and if you go on my Facebook page, you will see I do a post every week. Uh, some of it bottom draw stuff, some of it Chad and Jeremy stuff, some of it other stuff. And also the Chad and Jeremy Facebook page is also linked to that. And there's all kinds of other stuff there. You honestly try it out. It's really, right. you'll be there for hours. It sounds terrific. Do you still have your fan club? Interestingly, one of the people who used to run the fan club has been, was responsible, came back into our lives, my life, uh, many, many, many years later. And uh, was very, very helpful on the past tour and provided a house and introductions to all kinds of people. And uh, it, it continues. It doesn't stop. See, what I loved about all the English bands, everybody had their fan club. OK, yeah. so I'm glad, glad that you still got a continuation there. Again, I want to thank you, Jeremy Clyde, for being on this podcast. It's just been a wonderful experience. Thanks, Robert. Such fun. Thank you. And now we're going to listen to that song that started off this episode. It's my version of a Lennon McCartney song called I Want to Be Your Girl. I want to thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.